Trust that's why you're here tonight. Just to worship the Lord. Simply worship. Amen. I know there's many times you don't feel like it, especially when it's cold in here. But there's a real warm presence of the Lord, nonetheless. And sure is good to be in the house of the Lord this evening. And thankful that the, the roof is getting fixed in the foyer area and offices. And, but that's also why there's no heat. But uh, we'll just keep plugging along. Amen. Are you with me? All right, you haven't froze yet. That's good. Amen. Amen. I just have a couple announcements to make. You can have your seats if you'd like. Thank you, musicians. We'll just make a couple announcements and we'll take the Bible. And I just, um, we want to remember Brother Harry Lalvers, Brother Larry Halverson in prayer. We know he's had COVID, but he's on the mend now. So we thank the Lord for that. He's lost about 20 pounds, but he's grateful for all your prayers. We're sure are thankful to the Lord that he's getting better. But we also remembered Sister Helen Taves. Uh, she was brought to the hospital Sunday with severe stomach pains, and it didn't look very good as her doctor it gave her little hope. We'd prayed, and miraculously she got better, even to the point they want to release her to send her back home. Amen. We thank the Lord we have a great physician. He knows what the problem is. Amen. Amen. Now that I've got the good announcements, I have to bring up another one, and that is um, the changing uh, mandates regarding mass in public places. Uh, Edmonton has reinstated their mask uh, mandate this Friday. They are suggesting that churches should be included and this is a different policy and that, than, than of the provincial government. Um, and it, it is difficult sometimes to discern between all of the different interpretations of what we need to and should be following. Um, but, we'll, but we'll for now move forward with this following policy, which is uh, we'll, we have been designated a, a private gathering throughout the COVID period, um, not public, but private. And we'll recommend, though, however, that we wear our masks into the church until seated. At the, time we, at the time you're seated, you can leave it up to your own discretion if you'd like to remove your mask or not. Um, and then also, as with the vaccination, we feel that's a matter of your own personal faith. And with many irregularities in the various levels of jurisdiction, we also, we can only make recommendations and leave it up to you how you feel led to go. And while we want to maintain a level of safety, we ultimately place our trust in the promises of God. Amen. Amen. We are a place of worship. We don't worship the government, we worship the Lord. That's right. Amen. Amen. So let's just pray that the Lord will protect us and keep us in all of these things. Amen. Let's stand together, take our Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms. So once again, not to reiterate, but in case I mumbled, because I've been told I mumbled, I mumble a lot, but <laughs> if uh, coming Sunday, please wear your mask into the building until you're seated. And then you can, as you would like, if you'd like to take it off or if you'd like to keep it on, that's up to you. Amen. 
Psalms chapter 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sittings and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all of my ways. And there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain unto it. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. If you have a need tonight and you just want to ask the Lord to come by your way, whether you're here present or whether you're streaming in, why don't you just raise your hand and say, remember me. Heavenly Father, Lord, there's many hands raised here present, and I'm sure more streaming in, Lord, as many are homesick, Lord. And Father, we sure love you with all our hearts all our souls, all our minds. You've been so good to us, Lord. How we're so grateful, Lord, when we came on Sunday to approach the communion table, Lord, to have the opportunity to wash your feet, Jesus. Father, we are so humbled, Lord, that you still love us. Even when we're so unlovable, we fail so much, Lord. But you humbled yourself and came down to lift us up higher. So, Father, we just want to set tonight on those wings of faith. Allow you to take us into heavenly places tonight. I pray you'd take control of the service, Lord. Meet every need that is here present. Lord, those that are under the sound of my voice, may you meet their needs, Lord. Father, we commit it to you, Lord. You said to ask that we would receive. Lord Jesus, we're asking now. We're just waiting on you, Lord, according to thy will that you would give us what we have need of. In Jesus' name, we commit all these things to you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may have your seats. I want to take for a title, as I've already announced, I'd be doing part seven of The Mind of an Overcomer. So this is part seven. But I changed the subtitle a little bit into Maturity Ushering in Humility. Maturity Ushering in Humility. And I want to just take a... a, start in this chapter in Psalms 139 as I, when I was in Grand Prairie, and I'll just say, by the way, Brother Darren, Brother Stephen, send their greetings down to each one of you. Wanted to say, God bless you. We had a wonderful time in the Lord up there, and it sure is good to be back home, though. And uh, we were there, and, and I was reading this chapter, Psalms 139, and it just began to open up, and so as I was looking at this, this is down to the end of the book of Psalms, and there's only 150 Psalms, and only, but you know, that's a, only a few. But uh, in Psalms 139, David is nearing the end of his life. He's getting, coming to a place, or he is in a place of maturity. He's been through many trials, ups and downs in his life. He was put on the grand stage. We know from the life of David, it's familiar to all the believers, that he was put on a grand stage of life at a very young age. That is, he was there. God helped him to slay a bear. God helped him to slay a lion. Then we find he had to go and slay Goliath. God helped him with that one. The battle wasn't his. The battle is the Lord's. 
And, he, and as he did all of those things, it put him onto a, a, the grand stage of life, as I would call it, where now he's in the public eye, he's in the attention of all, all the people of Israel as they begin to sing his praises that Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And we know how it caused a great um, animosity and, and it caused a, a great envying and jealousy in Saul, how he would look at David and be so concerned that the people were going to turn from him, not realizing yet that that was in fact the one who was anointed to be the next king of Israel. But even in all of that, he began to be hunted down by his own king without just cause. I want to just put this in remembrance to you so you'd understand the things that David has gone through. And when you condense it into a life, you know, nowadays we would look at somebody, you know, like, like Brother Ron Spencer and see all the trials he's been through in life and how it's compiled one upon another and how he's come out victorious over and over. And we'd say, man, he's really been through some things. And as I begin to look at the life of David, he'd really been through some things. How many of us as a child had to take care of a bear? had to take care of a lion with nothing more than a slingshot and a little knife. And we had to get in there and then we had to go and rescue the armies of the enemies as just a little child and just a, a ruddy boy. And we had to go and slay, slay a giant that great men in the army, generals and the king even himself, wouldn't even dare to face this giant on his own. But then in all of the things that he did, the victories he'd won, he was hunted down by his own king and he maintained his integrity. He dwelt in caves and he lost the city of Ziklag. Think of the, the hurt and the, the, the trial that must have been as he'd gone out, even heavy on his heart to begin with, as he was going out as the rear guard of the Philistine army to fight his own people, the Israelites. And as he's going out in this way, it's, it's weighing heavy on him, and he doesn't really want to fight. And I believe he's praying before the Lord, really, to say, Lord, how, how can I get out of this? I don't want to fight my own brothers and sisters, and I kind of got myself into this, but would you help me? And God was faithful. That he even turned the hearts of the other generals to the point where they turned to the king. His name was Agag of the Philistines. And they told him, we don't trust him. you got to send him back home. But as he got back home, maybe there was a short time of rejoicing as he thought, well, thank the Lord. He's heard my prayers. Everything is wonderful. And he's on an incredible high at the moment because God has answered him. And he doesn't have to fight his own people. But as he begins to near the city, perhaps just over the next hill, he begins to see smoke arising. And he begins to wonder what's going on and the, the, the rejoicing and the praising and the, and the jeering and all of the happiness and the revelry begins to die down as he begins to realize Ziklag is in ruins. Their wives and their children are gone and all of these things. And, and, and as, as he begins to come to this, he, his own men want to stone him. His own men want to turn on him and take his own life because of what he's put them through. And they begin to look at him in this way. And here's a man, he's barely uh, a few decades old. And he's finally come to this place where he's now lost all of his children, his wives, his men's children, his men's wives, their livestock. But God restores it to them. Because he prayed and he sought the Lord again. And God restored it to them in that way. But even then his, his, his trials were not over. As we know, he finally came and he knew the taste of sweet victory. Of total victory. He knew what it was to defeat the enemy. 
He knew what it was to win. He knew what it was to not leave a one of the enemy standing. He knew what it was to chase them down. He knew what it was to come back victorious. He knew what it was to have this great feeling. But yet in all of that, he still, when he, when he became the king, he, he would go down and he would take Jerusalem. And he would have this great victory which no other man before him had been able to conquer Jerusalem. It was considered to be impregnable. But I believe the Lord inspired him of exactly how to do it. And then we find that after he took this, this city of Jerusalem and he was there and he sent his army out and he fell to the charms of Bathsheba. And he committed adultery that day. And in all of it, he committed murder as he then caused the Uriah the Hittite to be murdered in battle because he put him into a place where he knew he would be killed, trying to make it seem as some kind of an accident. And in all of that, he lost his firstborn son. Before all of this, he'd lost his best friend, Jonathan, before he ever took the throne in battle. Even his own sons would betray him. One of them would even take his throne away from him. Another one, even as he ages and begins to, to, to get uh, older and he's no longer able to get up and no longer able to judge the people, finally another one of his sons begins to take the throne out from under him when he told Bathsheba that Solomon would reign in his stead. And he would go through all of these trials and yet as an aged man, he would stand to pen this psalm. Not plagued with regret, and neither filled with ego by all his victories. But when maturity and humility begin to come together. Because here David, as he's a mature man, he begins to realize the humility of life and the humility of victory. And he begins to recognize the humility of walking with God. Who say, Lord, thou hast searched me. And knowing me. Gee, Brother Branham would even say in, 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 in the message influence, he'd say, uh, when John, John said to Jesus, when, when, Je- when Jesus came to John to be baptized, think of John at this moment. In all of his life, he'd been raised and he'd gone out into the desert and he'd eaten wild locusts and honey clothed in scamels, camel skins and he'd come into the immaturity of his ministry, preaching and doing all of these things and baptizing. But when he came to the very purpose, the very peak of his ministry, the very maturity of what he was there to do, which was to, ba- to baptize the Lord Jesus, which was to wash the sacrifice that behooved them that they would fulfill all the Scripture. When it came to that moment, John said, I have need to be baptized of thee. The Bible says, watch the humility of John. He says, I have need to be baptized of thee. Why comest thou unto me? See, it's just the way it is as, we, as you grow in, in Christ and as you begin to be more uh, anchored in the Lord Jesus and you begin to be more mature as a Christian, the more you realize this knowledge is so great, how could I ever attain to it? The more you begin to realize the eternities of God and how could I ever try and put it in place and how could I ever try and figure out the exact program of God and try and figure out the timepiece of God, but rather it brings you to a place of humility where you can begin to really be used of God as, as David was used of God at this time in his life when he began to instruct Solomon. 
And he began to do and lay out the necessary plans at this time for the house of God. All of these things were taking place when David came to a place of humility. I want, if we would, to take, sorry, Brother Ethan, I'm going to skip a whole bunch and come back, to go to Matthew chapter 26. As Brother Branham says in the resume of the ages and in the church age book, he says, yet it is the harvest time. He says, then there must come upon the scene in this age those who will bring the wheat and the tares to maturity. The tares are already maturing very fast under corrupt teachers who turn the people from the word. But the wheat also must mature. And to her, God is sending the prophet messenger with a vindicated ministry that he might be accepted by the elect. And they will hear him as the first church heard Paul, and she will mature in the word until she becomes a word bride. The mighty works will be found in her that are always attendant upon the pure word and faith. Hallelujah. Now he's saying that, uh, that, that this message that he's brought, the prophet messenger of today, William Bradham, that brought this message of Malachi 4. He says they will be received by the elect. And the word bride will hear it and she will act upon it. She will listen to it. She will mature in the word. Now listen, this isn't just going back and saying, well, I just need to be like Brother Branham. But rather, it's a maturity in the Word of God that the works that would follow her are the same works that are always attendant to the true Word of God. That the same works that Jesus did, the same works that you do, and greater than these shall you do. In the rising of the sun, he says, and today, because he was the first son of God, Jesus Christ, to come to a full maturity, to be in God. He was plucked up from the earth and waved over the people. Oh, what a glorious lesson by the quickening power, the first one. How was it done? By the quickening power that brought him to maturity. Go to Matthew chapter 26. I just want to pull out a few things here in the, in the, the last moments of the life of Jesus, when he was here on earth, the corporal body. As you say those words, it sounds strange coming out of your mouth. The last moments of Jesus' life. He is life. <laughs> there is no ending. There is no beginning. Amen. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane. It says, Then cometh Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane and said unto his disciples, Sit you here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I want you to see this just as Jesus is coming. And I know this isn't exactly a jump up and dance service, but that's okay. Everyone's a little cold anyway, so snuggle in and stay warm. But as Jesus was coming to his place, as he'd come to full maturity, as we know on Mount Transfiguration, where Jesus then was glorified and he was, there was a voice that came from heaven which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. But the Bible says that was that adoption ceremony where he'd come to full maturity where he says, This is my Son. Everything that he says is as good as me saying it. And it was a type for us to come to a place where we can come to a place of full maturity. Come to a place of adoption. And I'm just using the word maturity versus adoption, but... But you'll see it's very similar. But as Jesus came to this place, then in the Garden of Gethsemane, having come to a place of full maturity, he wasn't looking to say, I, I, I know what's best. I'd like to do what feels good. But rather, he came to a place of humility. Say, not my will, but thy will be done. Not what I want to do. Lord, what you want me to do. I've come to a place where my word is as good as yours, so my word has to be your word. Where my life is as good as yours, therefore my life has to be your life. Amen. Because God knows exactly what he's doing. And he cometh to his disciples, he findeth them asleep, and saith to Peter, What, you could not wait with me one hour? He says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may, may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. He's, he'd already expressed to Peter. He wasn't just talking about Peter saying, Peter, I know your flesh is weak. He's saying, my flesh is weak. The spirit is willing to do what the Lord's will is, but my flesh is weak. That's why I'm in such agony. That's why this hurts so bad. But he came, came and, and, he, and he found them asleep again and their eyes were heavy and he left them and went away again and prayed the third time saying the same words and he cometh to his disciples and saith unto them sleep on now take your rest behold the hour is at hand what humility to be so subject to the will of God to say listen it's okay now the time is at hand she says, rise, let us be going. Behold, he's at hand that doth betray me. If you jump over to John chapter 18, we'll pick the story up there. It says, and when Jesus had spoken these words in verse 1, he said, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kidron. And there was a garden into which he entered his disciples, and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, and Jesus often resorted thither with his disciples. And Judas then, having received the band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. My goodness. What a mixed multitude. You got people that said they were religious. You got people that were just malicious. You got people that just wanted trouble. You got people that wanted to see what in the world was going to happen. And they come with some torches and they come with weapons to take one who stood and taught in their midst daily. 
to take one who never caused anyone any harm but had healed the sick. They said, we better bring some spears. I'm pretty sure there were some demons in the background egging them on. But Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him. If there's anyone that had a right to be depressed and full of anxiety, here's one. That he said, I know everything that's going to happen. I know what you're going to do to me. I know what Pilate's going to do. I know what those soldiers are going to do. I know what's going to happen on the cross. I know they're going to ram a spear in my side. I know I'm going to have to go down and preach to souls that are already in hell. I know I'm going to have to do these things because I've got to rise again on the third day. I've already told you, tear this temple down, I'll raise it up in three days. I know all of these things, and yet still, he says, Lord, not my will. Let thy will be done. And they came to him, and they went forth and said unto him, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also which betrayed him stood with them. As soon as he had said them, I am he, they went backwards and fell on the ground, proving to them their weapons were useless. There wasn't nothing their weapons could do. Their handcuffs couldn't do it. Yet here was one that was so humble to the will of God that he even just stuck out his hand and said, I'm he. He could have easily said, oh, he's over the next hill and quickly grabbed Peter and said, let's go. But not my will, thy will be done. He just laid out his hands. I'm he, here I am, take me. And they just fell backwards. They couldn't take the, the, the presence, I'm sure, but, uh, but the, there was more going on here. As it, it wasn't just Jesus and a group of people. Because he knew all that had to come to him. This was a battle going on in the heavenlies. It was a battle going on in the spiritual realm. Where there was ministering angels and there was behind him, I'm sure, the angels of heaven that were ready to come to his aid at any time. And with that great multitude, with their staves and their weapons and their torches, there was a lot of demons that were ready to come and ready to take control of him. There was something going on there that was beyond what just met the eye. Because this was about to bridge the gap of time and mend all of eternity back together again. He knew what he was about to do, but rather that the enemy had come to afflict him and had come to do all sorts of harm to him to really see, is this actually the one? And the devil was so stupid he couldn't figure out that this is the one. That he still wouldn't even allow him to come right down into the halls of hell before recognizing it's too late. I made a big mistake. Because he thought he could kill God. He really thought he could take God's place. He really thought if God would humble himself down to becoming a human, he had power over humanity because he caused Eve to fall and Adam fell by his choice. But he caused all of these things. He thought, surely I can get Jesus. But he bit off more than he could chew. Because there was a man that was so humble. If you even go back to Luke chapter 23.
Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. When he's there and he's on the cross, one on his right and one on his left, malefactors. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and they cast lots. And the people stood beholding And the rulers also with him, deriding him, saying he could save others himself, he could not save. If you be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a subscription also was written over him with the letters in the Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were, which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. And the other had rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art of the same condemnation? And we, in, we indeed justly, but we, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Here's the humility of a mature seed of God. The seed of Abraham. This is the maturity when it comes to a place of humility where it's able to subject itself completely to the will of God that it knows that his purpose was to bring the kingdom of heaven. That the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. That he's saying that there's people that are pressing into it and right here there is a man hanging on a cross that begins to press into a kingdom saying, Lord, remember me. You know your place, that you're so humble that you were willing to die on a cross for our sins, yet so humble you were still doing the will of God, even in your dying breath. That you came to save. You came that all men could be saved. You came so that you could uh, loose the brokenhearted. You could set the captives free. You could do what I was spoken of him in Isaiah. He said, behold, I'm still doing the Lord's will. This was the first to come to maturity. And he was waved over us. That when he came to maturity, it ushered in such humility to be about the Father's business even unto death. Brother Branham would say in 1965, God's provided place of worship, he says, and God has already raised us up potentially. The quickening power that raised us from the life of sin and changed our being, it has potentially raised us up in Christ Jesus, which the resurrection will bring us forth in the full maturity. Hallelujah. So here's Jesus that he's come to a place of full maturity and full humility where he just lays his life down willingly according to the Father's will and that he would be raised up that he would draw all men unto him. As the scripture said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And, 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 and he, he's doing this, and, but, he, but Jesus is saying that uh, he's doing these things so that he could send his spirit 
back upon the church. As we know in the, in the, in the day of Pentecost, when finally in the day of Pentecost was fully come, that they were in an upper room, they were sitting there when the, when, the, when the sound of the rushing mighty wind came in and it baptized them all and little cloven tongues of fire rested on them all and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to go out speaking in tongues and doing all these things, but that wasn't the maturity of the gospel. That was the beginning of the gospel. But it had potentially brought them to maturity because it had already changed them from a life of sin to a life of righteousness. And the same spirit that has brought you in, that has changed you, that has called you, that has birthed you into this glorious light of Jesus Christ, it's the same spirit that quickens your mortal body. Amen. And it will be brought to full maturity in the resurrection. In other words, the full redemption will be, will be the change of these mortal bodies. The Branham says, how can we be justified without being... He says, how can we be... Now, he says, there we go. You can be justified without being sanctified. You can be sanctified without having the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the indwelling presence of God's power in the spirit. Now we see that the natural types of spiritual, so it's the church is in its complete maturity now. Because this, the, the Holy Spirit is an eternal spirit. Zoe, it's God's own life. If it's in you, you've got God's own life. You can no more die than God can die. We know those things. We say them over and over again. So in other words, if you've got a spirit in you that is eternal, you're a part of the eternities. And that's where Jesus or Brother Branham would begin to take it. He'd say that little scarlet thread that spans over the gap of time, that little chink called time. He says anything that's connected to that, one day he'll pull that little thread. It'll come right back into eternity. Why? Because it's already in eternity. Because that little scarlet thread is still eternity. The blood of Jesus Christ because the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. How can that be when it was only 2,000 years ago the lamb was slain here on earth? Because it was a God that was happening in the eternities where there is no yesterday. There is no tomorrow. There's just right now in the present. So he's saying you, you, by, by being born again, you've, you've potentially already come to maturity because you've stepped into the eternities where time no longer exists. Where you've now stepped out of time space and you've stepped into the eternal realms of God in your soul. And we know that the full completion of maturity will be when the, will be the redemption of these mortal bodies when finally we're changed and we put on immortality because time then is literally no more. But that's not something we can just push into happening. Before the seals in 1959, message time of decision. But the Branham says, so the church is not in its right state yet. We have to remember that it's not matured. 
So we just have to linger and do the best we can. And there's no one can bring it to maturity. Only the Holy Spirit. As we listen to it, I don't believe it'll ever come by man. It'll have to come by God. But now after the seals in 1963, he begins to finally say, the church has come to its right place. Now it's come to maturity. Now because the lamb has taken the book. The lamb has opened the book. Now we can back up again. You're still with me all right. As David would write in Psalms 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. This word to be searched is to say he has penetrated me. He has intimately examined me. He knows my every closet, my every secret place, my every hiding place in my heart that I've opened up. David's saying, I've come to this place where God has searched right down to the very depths of my soul. In the infancy of the book of Psalms, in Psalms 26, he would write in verse 1, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall, not, I shall not slide. And he says, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart, for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. So here in his younger years, he begins to write this way. He said, Lord, examine me. And as he comes to a place of maturity, he begins to say, Lord, you've searched me. You have examined me. You have known me. If you go down to the end of the chapter in Psalms 139, verse 23, he says, he says search me, O Lord, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So even down after he says, Lord, you've searched me. Lord, you've known me. He still begins to say, don't stop. If there's anything else, Lord, take it out. Because I'm still walking in this unredeemed flesh. I'm still stuck in this space of time. I'm still stuck here. I still got to rub shoulders with the world. I still got to run this kingdom and do these different duties of my daily life. So, Lord, continually search me. You have searched me. You have known me. Don't ever take that away. Now, Paul would write in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as we, we, we took communion on Sunday, as Paul would write about in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, it says, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now, this is Paul dealing with here as, 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 as David was looking to something. David was looking to the atonement. David was looking to Christ. Oh, Lord, search me. He was under a dispensation of Jehovah the Father. But now that it's come down into the Holy Spirit indwelling in the, the, the worshiper, that it's right down to you and God dwelling together, that you are the mighty God unveiled. But when it comes right down to that revelation, Paul begins to deal with it. He says, but let a man examine himself. 
He's not talking to just infant babes. He's not talking to somebody that hasn't come. This is why we don't let people that haven't been baptized properly to come and take communion and foot washing. Why? Because you've got to come to a place of maturity first to recognize I need to be saved. I need to know where I'm standing so that way I have the ability to properly examine myself according to the word of God that is within me before I can come partake of this ordinance. He says in another place in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, he says, Though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we, but we shall live by, with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye, uh, know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you? Except you be reprobates, but I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Hallelujah. I trust that you shall know we at Anti-Message Tavern are not reprobates. We're not walking in that way, but rather that we would know and try of our own selves and examine ourselves that we are in the faith. That we are walking according to the word of God. And how would we know it? Because the same works that always attend to the pure word and the pure faith will always be there. So what are you talking about? Well, the Bible says they shall lay their hands on the sick, they shall recover. They believe. Just the other day I was having some real trouble with my wrist. I was sore for about a week and I just finally was at Brother David Bedoza. I said, Brother, would you just lay hands on me and pray? And he did. The next day, I had no pain left in my wrist. He said, well, you should have got that checked out. Listen, I don't really care what the doctors say about my wrist. The Lord says, if I lay your hands, ask whatever you will in my name, it shall be done. Amen. Are you against doctors? No, I'm not against doctors. They have their place. God bless them. Because seriously, I couldn't do what they do. But I know the great physician. And to know him is life. And even more than that, to be known of him. Amen. See, it doesn't have to be some great show. We need to come up and get worked up and have multiple brothers lay hands on us. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't need to be that way. It could be as simple as I was just at Brother David's house. He's not a minister. He's just a brother that loves the Lord. We just had prayer, and that was it. It's God in simplicity. John 17, verse 17. As Jesus would pray for us, he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thou hast sent me into the world. Even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So Jesus, is, as he's praying, as he's going into the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's praying for his disciples and praying for us, saying, how can you be sanctified? How can you be cleansed? How can you be clean? Through the truth. It's not just once, it's a continual. Ephesians 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church 
gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray to God that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, but and if you suffer for righteousness sakes, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Brother Benham would say this, and does God ever change his mind about his word? He says, but you're not going over. You took my possessions, my permissive will. He began to speak about about Moses, when Moses broke the will of God. When Moses was there and he was told the first time to strike the rock, the second time speak to the rock. And he went down in his anger, he smote the rock a second time, and it broke the scriptures, and, and, and God had to punish him for such a thing. And he says this, Brother Branham begins to talk about it and say, but you're not going over, Moses. You took my permissive will down there at the rock. You have glorified yourself. And not me. You sanctified yourself. You didn't sanctify me. You didn't keep my original word that I told you to do. Yet the waters did come. You can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. They can prophesy. You can speak with tongues. But this says this. Keep this original word. God don't change his mind, friend. You got to keep his commission, his will. Hallelujah. There will be a lot of them that come to him and say, Lord, Lord, have not we done many mighty works in castle devils? And that name says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never even knew you. They might have studied and known some semblance of God, but God didn't know them. And we find that he says, listen, you can do all these things. You can have great signs and wonders, and those things will follow the word. But you can have those out of faith as well. But he says, keep the original word. Walk in the will of God. Moses stepped out of the will of God, and it cost him the ability to go over into the promised land. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does that mean? Purpose within yourself to do the will of God. Purpose within yourself to be humble enough. To do God's will. He says, and be ye ready to give an answer to everyone that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience. It's not meekness and fear of the world. It's not for fear of what the government will say. It's meekness and fear of God. Be ready to give an answer out of the fear of God to say, Lord, what you've done for me, I want to make sure that I'm giving you the right respect, that I'm giving you the right uh, uh, place that you deserve in my life. He says, for it is better if the, if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. It's just better to be in the will of God. For Christ also had once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now you, you, you've come through justification, sanctification, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
So I'm going to try and wind down my thoughts here. Taking longer than I thought I would. But you've come through this, this process and, and Brother Branham would type it to like a glass that's out in the barnyard. And the fact that you picked that glass up, you've justified it that it doesn't belong there. And it's never to go back there. And it's as though it was never there in the first place. But then you take it and you begin to wash it. You don't immediately feel that filthy glass. Got all kinds of manure and all kinds of other things on it that you just, it's gross. And you don't ever, you kind of even picked it up with a pair of rubber gloves because it's so filthy. But some of us were that way. So filthy that God had to just pick us up and just say, all right, come over here to the sink. And then it takes through the sanctification process. And, you know, sometimes maybe you take a glass and maybe this glass just needed a little wash and a little scrub and it's good to go. But the next one needs three or four rinses on the heavy-duty cycle because it's that dirty. Amen. And sometimes it takes that and you've got to go through those things. But finally, once it's clean, the sanctification is a two-part war which is to be clean and set aside for service. It's not filling. It's just clean and set aside for service. It's ready to be filled. It's ready to be put on the table. It's ready to have the water poured in. It's ready to be drank out of. But until the master so chooses. Think about it. Until the master so chooses, it's for us to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes it's not so instantaneous because that doesn't happen until God so chooses. It's for us to stay faithful to the word of God and stay there and stay believing and stay humble and stay in his will. Until he chooses to take us from the shelf. And say, i got a purpose for this one now. Hallelujah. But it's more to be sanctified is more than just that sanctification. Because even a glass, once it's filled, it's used. But now the spirit that's in you is to sanctify your own body like a dove. Brother Brennan would use the type like a dove who has an oil within itself, a turtle dove that it just comes out from itself, cleans its own feathers from the inside out. See, the original sanctification is to be clean and set aside for service. You don't fill a dirty glass, but the clean, you clean it first. But it isn't a stagnant cup of water that I'm talking about. Because a Christian life has an inflow and an outflow. And with that pure water of the word constantly flowing through, constantly cleanses the believer. That's why uh, David would write, say, thou hast searched me. And then he would write, let on say, search me again. Pour more water in. Let me pour it back out. Put more in. Let me push out more of the fruits. He says, well, that's the way a Christian is. But the Branham says, when he planted in Jesus Christ, the inexhaustible fountain of life, everything that we have need of is, is in us then. He says, we just keep drinking and pushing out. Drinking and pushing out. If you ever need more of God, just keep drinking and pushing out. If you need healing, just drink it and push it out. See, we just got to keep drinking and drinking the position in Christ, the position of a believer in Christ. In 1955, he says, a man, when he comes to Christ, 
It, 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 it isn't first you go get your oranges. First you go get the tree. I'm talking about a fruit tree here. He says you don't go down to the, to the oranges and just grab a bunch of oranges and then expect it to just multiply oranges. You go buy an orange tree. He says you get a tree. The tree is planted in Christ Jesus, the inexhaustible fountain of life. And if everything that a believer has to do, and in everything that a believer has to do after he's placed in Jesus Christ, everything he has need of in his earthly journey is given him when he's placed in Christ. All he has to do is drink and push out. And drink until every fruit of the Spirit, every gift of the Spirit, everything that's in Christ Jesus that belongs to you will be in you for the entire journey. Not supposed to get the tree, not supposed to go out and get the oranges first. Get the tree first. Dig it up somewhere. Get the smallest tree that's just a young babe in Christ and set it by that but by the fountain of water, the inexhaustible life of Christ, then you're positionally placed in Christ, then you're in Christ by the Holy Spirit, then all these qualities of the Holy Spirit live in you. Now let me say it this way. When you find that little tree, it's just about a seedling, not that big. There's not a lot of oranges hanging on it. But yet every orange is already in that tree. You say, well, it's a, it's a different type of tree. There's no acorns on it, but every acorn that'll ever be in that oak tree, it's there already. It's got to be planted in the right atmosphere. So he's saying, well, you, you're the tree. Well, you just got to plant it in Jesus Christ. Just keep drinking the word of God. Don't cut that off. Don't go out whoring after other denominations, other ministries that are not called of God. Amen. Forgive me for using that word. I was studying the book of Hosea today as well. <laughs> but don't, don't go out after those things. Stay at the inexhaustible fountain of Jesus Christ. Stay in this word. Stay in this message. Let's have the musicians come. In Revelation chapter 10, familiar to all of us, verse 8, says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go take the little book which is opened in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and I said unto him, Sir, if you don't mind, could I please have that book? Is that what he said? No, he said, give me the little book. So that doesn't sound very humble. No, he knew he was doing the will of God. Give me the little book. Don't just say, Lord, if you just be so kind, would you just open? No, Lord, give me the book. It's for me. Give me the book. And take the book and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And it says in the next verse, it says, And I took the little book from the angel's hand, and I ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I'd eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Oh, my. 
That's exactly what we're to be doing. Take the little book. Say, I've taken the little book, then just keep eating it. Keep drinking. Keep pushing out. Say, well, we're to come to full maturity, Brother Andrew. We're to speak the word of God, and it's going to happen, and we're coming to that just any day now. Yeah, but if you're not eating that little book, you're going to find yourself at a shortage for words. Benham says, and we've, we've seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. We'll close on this. He says, would you deny what Jesus himself said himself, what the Bible itself speaks out, which is Christ, the anointed word? If the word abides in you, then you're anointed person with the word. You abide in me, my word in you, then ask what you will and it shall be done for you. That's Christ in you. Anointing the word for this age. Whatever age they lived in, God divided his word to ages. And every time it comes that time, the churches are all scrupled up. But God anoints somebody and sends it down and makes the word act just exactly the way he said it did. Exactly. And there's a word prophesied for this day. God is waiting to find somebody It's not too unusual to that they can be anointed with the Holy Ghost to prove that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, to be a shining light, to blind the eyes of the unbeliever, that they would blaspheme it, they would bring justice upon them, for God's law is just, and judgment can only come by his justice. And then he can condemn the world and send it away into a flame of fire like he did the Sodomites. Say, well, that was Brother Branham. God sent Brother Branham. Yes, but the bride also has a voice. The final voice to the final age. And God's just waiting for somebody that'll be humble enough to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That no matter what it takes, whether it'll take everyone to turn against me and blaspheme me and say, he's crazy, I don't care. If that's what it takes, because he's saying here, it'll have to come to that because that's what it takes for them to blaspheme God so that God could turn around in his justice and burn the whole thing over. We're there. We are there. Why don't we stand to our feet? Church, let's be humble. Let's never get lifted up and say, well, you know, we never. <laughs> we never got shut down from COVID. <laughs> let's never get so proud like that. Right. Well, we done this. No. Lord, not my will. Right. Brother Branham says, when you find a believer that really believes with signs following it, And you see the humility in their life. Know that they are a real Christian. A real genuine article. Just keep still. The thing you ought to do is join right up to them. This is another place. He says it may be that their life would be so salty with the grace of God. And the humility of his spirit. That the world would crave to be that kind of man. 
says in harvest time, he says, but God humbly glows in humility of the believer. No matter how ignorant he is, he glows in humility, not shining in Hollywood. Let me glow in the humility of the Lord. Hallelujah. That sounds like a good song, Brother Ethan. He made something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness, strife. But he made something beautiful for my life. Amen. Brother John. Something beautiful. Something good. All my confusion. He understood All I had to offer him Was brokenness and strife But he made something Beautiful out of my life bow our heads together we all want that maturity we could speak and it would happen and God would back up our words and oh we just love the supernatural but are we willing to go by it the right way and say Lord humble me Make me so humble, Lord Jesus, that I wouldn't even try to walk in my own way. That I'd be like you were, just there in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will. Thy will be done. Heavenly Father, Lord, truly that's the cry of every believer. We want your will. But sometimes that's a lot harder to find than it sounds. Because we get all our own thoughts in the way. We get all our own thinking in the way and we figure we got it figured out. But Lord, I pray tonight in just the simplicity of this service and the humbleness of this atmosphere, Lord, forgive us, Father. Lord, that we try and walk in our own way, try and think, I got this. Lord, we don't got nothing, Lord, if we don't have you. But if we got you, Lord Jesus, then we ask that you lead and guide us as you said you would. Help us to always be so sensitive. Lord, as Brother F.F. F. Bosworth said of your prophet, under the anointing, there was no one more sensitive than Brother Branham.
to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, help us just to be more sincere so we can have a sensitivity, Lord, to your will. To those little tugs you give us in our heart, Lord, that we ought to speak to somebody. We ought to say something. Lord Jesus, help us, Father, to be a witness for you. Lord, maybe there's someone that we've been around for years and we've never really got to know them all that well. We never really got to know if they're a Christian or not. We never really got to talk with them. Maybe they don't even know we're a Christian. Lord Jesus, forgive us our slothfulness. Help us, Lord, that we'd speak to those individuals, regardless of the consequence, Lord. But to lift you up, O oh God, and say, this is my Savior. He's my Redeemer. Lord, we just commit the ones that are here into your hands tonight. Remember those, Lord, that are at home, Lord, those that aren't, aren't, aren't feeling too good. Father, I pray you'd touch them. Amen. We ask for a total deliverance and healing, Lord Jesus, knowing that you're faithful, Lord. Father, we commit them into your hands. We commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you love the Lord? Amen. Maybe it's just me, but I think it's warmed up in here. Why don't we just change the order a little bit, sing that song. The original life, the original seed, and then you'll be dismissed. His attributes were manifested through the bride in this last day. We have caught the revelation by the last prophet's message. And we know who we are and what we're raised up for. Praise the Lord for the original life. 